us will sing and shout the victory when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory all right my family and i went and spent most of this week in in nashville tennessee at lipscomb university uh, there's a rumor we went to malibu and pepperdine university we're going to do that next year but we went to lipscomb university this year uh, they had a lectureship on the holy spirit poured out and man we were we were really blessed they do classes for all ages so my kids had a great time we had a good time and uh, it's been really good uh, yesterday we were supposed to get back our flight last flight uh, went from nashville to denver which is not on the way to oklahoma city and then from denver back to oklahoma city we were supposed to get in at 9 o'clock, and so we went, you know, we can get our kids in bed and still be awake and ready for Sunday morning if we do that. That'll work. Uh, well, then there was a two-hour delay, which, you know, you start getting really irritated and angry and upset and all the things that come with an air, airplane delay. And then our pilot gets on while we're sitting in the, on the before we even start taxiing. And uh, she's real funny. She says, uh, we've figured out over the years uh, that when it comes to flying a plane that you're better sitting on the ground wishing you were up there than being up there wishing you could be on the ground. <laughs> and she says, there's storms in Denver and we're just gonna let them get out of the way and then we'll go. And you immediately stop being angry and start being thankful. We got in pretty late last night, we're pretty tired. Um, so I say all of that to say, Derek, if I fall asleep, just come up and take over, man. <laughs> just take the mic and go. Um, we're finishing our series today on, on the spiritual importance of remembering and how God has given uh, Israel in the Old Testament special days and holidays and, uh, and, and celebrations that were meant to institutionalize their memory, to make it so that they could not forget who God was and what he had done for them. Uh, and it's not just something that was for Israel. Why the celebrations and the holidays are no longer commanded for us, the blessings of remembrance remain. And in a world where we're so often focused on the present and we're thinking about the future and what do I have to do today and what's coming tomorrow and planning and scheming and worrying and all of the stuff that comes with our focus on the present and the future, we so often forget God's faithfulness in the past. And so we've spent this month talking about how God desires us and, and really even commands us to regularly and frequently practice remembering out loud the things of God in our past, because when we remember with gratitude God's, God's faithfulness in the past, it helps us to deal with anxiety and worry in the present and fear in the future. And when we're able to get rid of our anxiety and our worry and our fear, what replaces it is peace in the present and hope and confidence in the future, which is... To be honest, a better way to live. This morning, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the importance for Israel of observing the Passover meal. 
The Passover meal, which was part of, of the Passover uh, weekend, was a meal that was, was celebrated every year by Israel to remember what God had done in the Exodus when God delivered Israel out of the oppression of Egypt and Pharaoh and delivered them to uh, the promised land. So we're going to look first at Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 24. God says to Israel, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. God gives Israel this instruction and he builds the Passover into their annual holiday schedule. And it's done so that when you're observing the Passover, the children will ask, why do we do this? And even today, if you go to a Passover meal, which is often called a cedar, a Passover cedar meal, uh, and you go to it, they build into the kind of expectation of the event, and they build into the script, having one of the children of the home ask, and why do we do this? And then the parents answer the question by telling them the reasons for the Passover. Why do we do this? And then the older generations pass on the stories of their life and of previous generations so that no one will ever forget the faithfulness of God. No one will ever forget how God delivered Israel and never stop telling their children. It's a difficult thing that the plagues and the Passover and the death of the firstborn in Egypt is a difficult concept for us today. It's often uncomfortable to our kind of modern sensibilities to have that kind of, uh, of a plague brought on an entire nation and an entire people, and it, it makes us uncomfortable. It's one of the Old Testament stories uh, that is difficult for us to talk about today. But you have to understand that what's happening when God goes to send Moses into Egypt, and he says, I need you to go tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, that he needs to let my people go. That he's going to Pharaoh, and he's telling him, not only is he saying, I want my people to be free, God is saying, not just to Pharaoh, but to the entire world, that the gods of Egypt are not gods. That, that the gods of Pharaoh are false, not gods. They are not uh, what God is, who Yahweh is. And so part of what's going on in the plagues is, is God going into Egypt and saying, I've heard my people and I want them to be free from Egypt and, and I want their deliverance and I want their freedom and I want them to be able to go to the land that I promised them because I am a faithful God. But the other part of it is God saying, when my people leave this place, the entire world will know that there is one God and there are no others. That there is no God of the Nile, there is no sun God, there is no God of the frogs or of the livestock or of, of anything that can hold a candle to our God, to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to, to Yahweh, the God of Israel, to Yahweh who is faithful to his people. 
And so what's going on here is not just about delivering people. It's about making sure that God is glorified and exalted. And, and so over and over again through the plagues, uh, in fact, one of the things that's interesting is the first several plagues, uh, the first several things that God does, turning the Nile to blood, turning the staff into the snake, which is not a plague, but it is a demonstration early on in, the, in Exodus, uh, Pharaoh's magicians can do it also. And so as, that, as the battle begins, uh, and as the plagues start heating up, for the first several, Pharaoh looks at his sorcerers and magicians. They do what Moses and Aaron do, uh, and he kind of looks at them and goes, looks like my gods are as good as your gods. And one of the other things that's interesting is for the first several plagues, they don't just happen in Egypt. They also happen in Goshen, which is the area where uh, the Israelites live. God's power is not only being demonstrated to Egypt. For the first several plagues and signs, it's being demonstrated to his people Israel because they need to know, too, that God is God and Pharaoh is not. Because after 400 years of slavery, they have seemingly forgotten that Pharaoh's not as big of a deal as Pharaoh thinks he is. So God has to sort all of this out while also delivering his people Israel and so by the time we get to the 10th plague, which is the Passover, the 10th and final plague was the Passover of the Spirit of God. And overnight, the Spirit of God is going to pass over all of Egypt and pass over the homes of the Hebrew families. But when it gets to the homes of the Hebrew families, God had instructed them, I want you to take a lamb, a good lamb, and I want you to prepare it and I want you to cook it. And I want you to eat it. And it's to be a meal of celebration of the freedom that I am about to give you as a gift. You're not going to have to fight for it. I'm just going to give it to you. But here's what you do. You eat a meal with me. You, you sacrifice a lamb. You eat it together with me. The whole camp would have smelled of roast mutton. And he said, when you're cooking, take some of the blood that you don't need for the meal. And I want you to spread it over your doorpost on all three sides. God says, when my spirit passes over in the night, any house that has dined with me in this Passover meal and who has the blood on the door, I will pass over and no harm will come to them. They will be spared. But all of those Egyptian homes that don't do this, that aren't my people, of them the firstborn son in every home will die. Israel, it's freedom, but for us, it's uncomfortable. This is a difficult and violent teaching. And while it seems cruel to our modern sensibilities, we have to understand that the story of Exodus begins with Pharaoh forgetting all that God had done for Egypt. Exodus begins by saying that Joseph, if you remember Joseph in the coat of many colors, who was sold into slavery by his brothers in Egypt, and then because of uh, Potiphar's wife then went into prison and out of prison rose up and became second in command over all of Egypt and delivered them through the interpreting of dreams, a gift given him by God, delivered them from a famine that would have destroyed the entire empire had it not been for God's working through Joseph. Joseph, a Hebrew, delivers Egypt. 
And because of that, uh, Joseph and all of his family came to live in Egypt, and the Pharaoh offered them protection. And, and they were honored among all of the people because of what God had done through Joseph. But Pharaoh forgot what God did through Joseph. And Pharaoh, a future Pharaoh, forgot about Joseph and just started to worry about this growing people in his midst. And so Pharaoh enslaves them. And as they continue to grow more powerful and more uh, large and grand as a people, because God has promised they will become as, off, as plentiful as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, as that promise continues to be fulfilled, Pharaoh starts going to the midwives and saying, listen, I've got a plan to keep the Israelites from becoming too powerful because if they become too powerful, they might rise up against me. So my plan is this, I want you to kill all the baby boys as soon as they're born. And if you don't, I'll kill you, is the implication. And after a while, there's still baby boys running around everywhere. Pharaoh goes to the midwives and says, why aren't you killing all the baby boys? And they say, listen, we're trying but Hebrew women are tough, and the babies are born before we get there, which is a really funny lie. Pharaoh's worried. Pharaoh's doing everything he can to keep Israel down by killing all their sons. And Pharaoh believes that he can do this, that he can kill all of the Hebrew baby boys because he believes that he, too, is an Egyptian god in the flesh that he's above the law, that he can exact violence on anyone he wants, including baby boys, and, and that he can do it because I am Pharaoh and I am God. I am divine among you. You cannot question me. And so when God starts, Yahweh starts enacting the plagues against Egypt so that all will know that God is God and that the Egyptian gods are not, one of the things he has to do is go to war with Pharaoh and make it clear to everyone that Pharaoh is not divine. And that the son of this so-claimed God, the firstborn son who will be the next God of Egypt, is not divine and in fact can be struck down by Yahweh in his sleep. And so God institutes the Passover as a response to Pharaoh's violence on Israel. God institutes the Passover to say, Pharaoh, what you think you can do to me, you cannot do to me. And Pharaoh, what you want to do to me, I will now do to you in a way that will make clear to the entire world that these are my people and I am God of all. And it's in that moment that Pharaoh breaks, that the, Israel, the Hebrews go free. Pharaoh changes his mind, there's the crossing of the Red Sea, and there's all of this that's happening, but it's the Passover meal first celebrated in slavery in Egypt that becomes the moment that God makes clear to everyone that he is God and no other false God can be, and that there's no empire that can stand against him. And, and there's this important but, but subtle kind of theme that I want us to kind of look at uh, just briefly that runs through this beginning part of Exodus that has to do with who is crying and who is hearing the cries. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, it talks about how God says, I have heard the cries of my people Israel. And in verse 9 and 10, God says, the cry of my people Israel has come to me. And as he's heard the cries of his people, he is going to respond. And so he sends Moses to Pharaoh, 
But when Moses gets to Egypt, what he finds is, as I mentioned previously, that the people have become so convinced of Pharaoh's power that they're not sure who they should be crying out to for deliverance. And so in Exodus chapter 5, verse 8, it says that, Therefore they, the people of Israel, cry, Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. But they're not crying to God. They're crying to Pharaoh. Israel has forgotten that God's in charge. And so when Israel cries out, let us go celebrate to our God, they don't cry out to Yahweh to deliver them. They cry out to Pharaoh. A few verses later, the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh for mercy. Pharaoh, just give us mercy to go and, and worship for a weekend. Just give us a retreat. We're not even asking for freedom. God wants to give them freedom, and they're crying to Pharaoh for a retreat. And I think that we need to realize that we do this too. That when God wants to give us an incredible gift that so often we're so convinced that only the powers of this world can give us what we need, that we cry out to rulers and authorities of this earth to give us what we want, and we forget that we should be crying out to the God who has the power to overthrow the rulers and the authorities and give us what we want. And so that God can make that clear by the time the plagues have been exhausted on, Israel, on Egypt, by the time that the Passover has come to pass, you get to Exodus chapter 11, verse 6, where it says, There shall be a great cry throughout Egypt. Verse 1230, there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where one was not dead. And what we see here is that God hears the cries of his people. And then God sees them crying out to the wrong power and not him. And that God then does a demonstration of such great power in Egypt that everyone recognizes that his people will go free because they are his people and that he is faithful to them and that he is the most powerful God. No God of Egypt, not even Pharaoh, can stand against him. And the people go free. You know, there's a promise and instruction and a warning in, in this kind of tracing of themes through Exodus. The promise is this, God is faithful to the cries of his people. Even when we lose confidence that he's going to remember us, God is always faithful to the cries of his people. The instruction is this, don't cry out to the powerful among you. Don't cry out to your empire, whatever it is. Don't cry out to those with influence and authority in this world. Cry out to the one who is over all things and who created all things. And there's a warning for those who think they're in charge and put others underneath their feet. If you're part of the empire... If you're part of the oppressors, if you're one of the ones who is, is willing to step on other people so that you can exalt yourself, the warning in the plagues is that empires and oppressors that take advantage of other people will always eventually face the wrath of God. Because our God is a liberating God. Our God is a delivering God. So every year, 
God says to Israel, you remember that? You remember when I set you free? You remember when the whole camp, the whole land of Goshen smelled of roast lamb? And you ate together, and you sang songs together, and you remembered how faithful I had been and was on that day and will be in the future. When you remembered all of that, don't you remember that day? And the day after when you walked out of Egypt, not just with all that I had given you, you walked out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. It said that the people of Egypt had become so favorably disposed to the Hebrews that when the Hebrews left, their Egyptian neighbors said, here, take my gold, take my stuff, take my livestock. Uh, Israel was able to, because of the generosity of Egypt, because of the power of God, to loot Egypt, the most powerful empire in the world, on its way out. That's the deliverance of God. And God says every year, remember this, remember this. And so God gives them this holiday. It's a Passover holiday, and that's really what it is. And it became a thing for families to do every year. The whole family would get together, and they would chase every little piece of yeast in the house, and they would clean it out. Like we do different Christmas traditions, this was part of their tradition. They would roast the lamb together and talk about the Passover lamb and the meal that was shared the night before God set them free. And they would eat the lamb and remember the blood that was painted on the doors, the blood, uh, the lamb that was sacrificed on their behalf so that they might go free. They would eat bitter herbs that tasted bad to remind them of the, the evil and the horror and the difficulty and the trouble caused on them by Pharaoh's oppression. And they would drink the wine and remember his deliverance, that he delivered them out of Egypt. They would eat the unleavened bread. It wasn't leavened and it wasn't delicious, but it was, it was left unleavened to remind them that they left so quickly when Pharaoh changed his mind because of God's great power that there wasn't even time for the yeast and the bread to rise, that they ate bread with no yeast in it. And they would tell stories and they would sing songs and that there were rituals tied to every part of it and symbols tied to every part of the meal. And, and as they would get together every year, there was a script that they would follow as they went through it so that the children would always remember the faithfulness of God in the past so that they could continue to be the people of God in the present and have confidence in him in the future. So by the time we get to Matthew 26, when Jesus is gathering with his apostles and he says, listen, we've got to gather in the upper room and observe the Passover, they have all of this expectation coming into that room. And we're going to get to Matthew 26 here in just a second, but I, I want you to get a feel for what the apostles were expecting. I want to take you through a little bit of a, a more traditional uh, Jewish cedar, what would be said in the script that is shared in a Passover meal uh, in a Jewish family today, and in many ways similarly to what the apostles would have been expecting from Jesus back then. Because what Jesus did in the Passover was very different from what they were expecting him to do. One of the primary purposes of the Passover is to make us feel as if we personally experienced the exodus from Egypt and the redemption from slavery to freedom. And so a family at a Passover meal, one of the things they do is they go through uh, a song or a, a poem called Deinu. Can you say Deinu? Deinu. Thank you, Julie. That's a better pronunciation. What is it, Julie? What is it? Deinu. 
Dainu. It would have been enough. And they would say, how many level, how many levels of favors has the omniscient one, has God bestowed upon us? If he had brought us out of, from Egypt and had not carried out judgments against them, Dainu, it would have been enough. In fact, I want you to say Dainu at the end of these statements. All right. If he had carried out our judgments against them and not against their idols, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had destroyed their idols and had not smitten their firstborn, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had smitten their firstborn and not given us their wealth, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had given us their wealth and not split the sea for us, he had split the sea for us and not taken us through it on dry land. If he had taken us through the sea on dry land and not drowned our oppressors in it. If he had drowned our oppressors in it and had not supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years, Dainu, it would have been enough. If he had supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years and not fed us the manna, Dainu. If he had fed us the manna and not given us the Sabbath, Dainu. If he had given us the Sabbath and had not brought us before Mount Sinai, Dainu. If he had brought us before Mount Sinai and had not given us the Torah, Dainu. If he had given us the Torah and had not brought us into the land of Israel, Dainu. If he had brought us into the land of Israel and had not built for us the temple, Dainu. Thus, how much more should we be grateful to the omnipresent one for the doubled and redoubled goodness that he has bestowed upon us? For he has brought us out of Egypt and carried out judgments against them and against their idols and smote their firstborn and gave us their wealth and split the sea for us and took us through it on dry land and drowned our oppressors in it and supplied our knees in the desert for 40 years and fed us manna and gave us the Sabbath and brought us before Mount Sinai and gave us the Torah and brought us into the land of Israel and built for us the temple to a Atone for all our sins. Rabbi Gamliel used to say, whoever does not discuss the following three things on Passover has not fulfilled his duty. He must discuss the Passover and Passover sacrifice of the lamb. He must discuss the matzah, the unleavened bread, and the maror, the bitter herbs. The Passover lamb that our fathers ate during the time of the temple, for what reason did they do so? Because the omnipresent pressed, passed over our fathers' houses in Egypt. As it is said, you shall say it is a Passover offering to the Lord because he has passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians with a plague. And he saved our houses, and the people bowed and prostrated themselves." And the one at the head of the table at the Passover meal would then take the broken bread in his hand and say, this matzah, this bread that we eat, for what reason? Because the dough of our fathers did not have time to become leavened before the king of, the king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he, revealed himself and redeemed them. Thus it is said they baked matzah cakes from the dough that they brought out of Egypt because it was not leavened. For they had been driven out of Egypt and they could not delay and had also not prepared any other provisions. And these bitter herbs we eat for what reason? 
because the Egyptians embittered our fathers' lives in Egypt. As it is said, they made their lives bitter with hard service, with mortar and bricks, with all manner of service in the field. All their service which they made them serve with rigor. In every generation, a person is obligated to regard himself as if he had come out of Egypt. As it is said, you shall tell your child on that day, it is because of this that the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. The Holy One, blessed be He, redeemed not only our fathers from Egypt, but He redeemed also us with them. As it is said, it was us that He brought out from there, so that He might bring us to give us the land that He swore to our fathers. And they would cover the bread and raise the cup. The cup is to be held in, in the hand of the one who is at the head of the table until the completion of a certain blessing. They would say, thus it is our duty to thank, to laud, to praise, to glorify, to exalt, to adore, to bless, to elevate, and to honor the one who did all these miracles for our fathers and for us. He took us from slavery to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from mourning to festivity, from deep darkness to great light, and from bondage to redemption. Let us therefore recite before him, hallelujah, praise God. And that's just a, it's just a small part of the cedar meal, a time that, that a family would come together and, and around the table and discuss all that God had done for them. And I don't know if you caught it, but, but it was to be done in such a way that every Jewish person at the time that they became an adult would say, let me tell you about the time that God brought me out of Egypt. Because they had experienced the deliverance of Yahweh from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land every year at Passover. It was so internalized as their story that though it had been thousands of years, they believed it was part of their personal story. And isn't this what our challenge is today as Christians to over and over again tell our children our faith story in such a way that it becomes their faith story that they tell it forward to their kids and their kids tell it forward to their children and not just within the family but in the community that we're constantly telling each other let me tell you about what God has done for me so that you can tell someone else what God's done for us and you and will do for them that's the power of spiritual remembering. And that script that I read just a part of was so ingrained in them that they would have been able to do the whole thing from memory that when Jesus sat around the table and the apostles gathered around him in the upper room in Matthew 26, they knew exactly what was going to be said except for one thing. Jesus didn't say any of that. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into a city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Now once you recline at the table, you've started the Passover. And Jesus has things he's supposed to be talking about, beginning with the Passover sacrifice, which is the lamb. But he doesn't talk about the lamb. He talks about how he's about to be betrayed. Because the importance of the lamb's blood that was put over the doorpost is about to become more significant to the apostles than it ever was before. But not because God delivered Israel, the Hebrews, from Egypt. But because Jesus was about to be betrayed, to be crucified, his blood spilt so that we might be saved from sin and death. And as Jesus continues, he starts taking the symbols that these, these apostles and disciples had known from their childhood, meant all of the different things about coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and being in the wilderness and God's deliverance. And he starts taking them and changing the symbolism and changing the meaning because they're being given greater meaning of a greater deliverance. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Peter, Andrew, and James would have been sitting there going, Jesus, that's not the line. You're supposed to be talking about take this and eat and remember how we left Israel, Egypt so quickly. How we didn't even have time to cook the food and we baked it into cakes and, and the manna and the bread. Jesus, that's the line. He said, not anymore. You're going to still need the Passover. In fact, you're going to need it more than you ever have before. Not to remember the deliverance from Egypt. But to remember the deliverance that I'm about to give you on the cross. And so when you break this bread... Remember my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives where events would be set into motion that would lead to his arrest, torture, crucifixion, and resurrection. Jesus says, from now on, as often as you gather, take this meal. This is Paul in Corinthians talking about what happens. The church now celebrates Passover every single week. We did it already this morning. When we gather together around a table and we break bread and we drink the fruit and we remember the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, this is my covenant. 
And the apostles are like, oh, yeah, like, like the covenant that we got at Sinai. We do talk about that at Passover. And he says, yeah, that one's fulfilled, but this covenant is greater. It's the covenant of my blood. And it comes with deliverance, not from Pharaoh, but deliverance from sin and death and evil. And it's going to institute a new kingdom with a new king. Because not only is Pharaoh not king anymore, my son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, is king. And we don't have anything to be afraid of if that Jesus is king. And so when we come together to take the meal every week, what God wants us to be doing is remembering his deliverance in Jesus for us. And built into that is this expectation that when our children ask, why do we do this each week, that we'll say, well, I've got to tell you what Jesus has done for me. That on the way to church, when our kids say, but why are we going to church on Sunday morning when other people are doing other stuff that we can say, well, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. There is a power to spiritual memory that reminds us of God's faithfulness, not in our isolated individual past, but our collective as the people of God, that God has got us through worse than Egypt and the Red Sea in the wilderness, that God has brought us deliverance and eternal life, and he's poured into us his Holy Spirit so that we might become the family of God that's bringing his kingdom into the world. God's done great things. We're anxious about the present, worried about the future. If we are, then we're not doing a very good job of remembering when we hold the bread and the juice. If we're anxious and worried about the present and the future, we've forgotten what God has already done and will continue to do and will always do for his people who he will hear the cries of and deliver. He will hear the cries of and deliver. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible tells you that you do it through faith, through confession, through baptism. You give your life to him. And here's what I can tell you. God has been good to me. Has God been good to you, church? That's our story. And it can be your story. And I hope that it becomes your story so that you can tell it to not just your kids, but anyone who asks. Why do you do these things? I'll tell you why I do these things. Because of the lamb who was slain so that I could have forgiveness of sins and be part of the kingdom of God. If you need to respond to that gospel, do it this morning while we stand and sing. He intercedes for you. Lift up your voice, leave with him your care, and 